to the Association 4.0 podcast. I'm Sherry Budziak, CEO and founder of Source. Association 4.0 is how we describe the skills needed to navigate Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Well, hello and welcome to Association 4.0 podcast. I'm your host today, Kevin Ordonez. I'm the president and managing director of our digital strategy group at Source, and I'm also the co-founder of .org Community. And today we are talking to Scott Oser, president of Scott Oser Associates. Scott and his team of experts develop creative solutions to meet your marketing, membership, and sales needs. Today we're talking to Scott about how the last 14 months have changed and created new opportunities for associations and their sponsorships. But before we get into the discussion today, Scott, maybe share with us a little bit more about yourself and about Scott Oser and Associates. Thanks, Kevin, and thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm excited for our conversation. I actually am a consultant now. I run my own consulting firm, brilliantly named Scott Oser Associates. Um, and as Kevin mentioned, as you mentioned, we do work with associations on their membership, marketing, and sales needs. We focus a lot of our time on ads, exhibits, and sponsorships. Um, I'm fortunate to also have experience as an association staff professional. I was on the staff side of associations for about 10 years before launching Scott Oser Associates. And we've actually now, Scott Oser Associates as an entity has been around for 15 years now. This is actually our 15 year anniversary. So we are small niche. We really focus on nonprofits, associations, both trade associations and individual membership organizations. And that really is my home. I mean, I really like that, you know, you guys are .org community and I feel like I really benefit from being part of that community and as part of the association community. So again, really excited to be here today. Great, thanks, Scott. So let's get into this. So how have sponsors needs and their expectations changed over the last uh, year or so? And how did the pandemic accelerate that change? It's been a really interesting time. And I think that there have been lots of ups and downs um, over the last 12 to 14 months. And I don't wanna get too in, into too much detail about the forced change to virtual and everything else. But as we know, that was the biggest change is we went almost overnight from everybody being used to in-person events to there were no in-person events. Everything went straight to virtual. And I think that there was a big learning curve for our for event organizers and then also on the sponsorship and exhibitor side as well, because this was something that even though we've been doing virtual events or pieces of it were virtual, like with webinars and things like that for a period of time, nobody was ready for this big giant shift and what that meant. And it has changed and, and we're going back to in-person now. So some of this learning is important, but it's almost pieces of it aren't as relevant as they would have been two months ago. Um, but they were forced to learn a lot and to change a lot from everything from budgeting. You know, the, there was no more travel involved, but there still was an expense involved with having to sponsor events to what that sponsorship implementation looked like, how do what sort of um, different deliverables were needed. It wasn't shipping a booth across the country anymore. It was creating a virtual booth. So there was a lot there. And I also feel that 
one of the biggest shifts was how you determine, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, but how you determine that ROI, what does ROI really look like? Because there were, I still believe there are a lot of positives with in-person, but there were also a lot of negatives. And one of the big things was proving ROI, but it was a known commodity in the sense that if you had people visit your booth, that was a positive or deemed a positive. In my opinion, that's not always a positive. That it's, it's sort of like, all right, we can get volume, but is volume the right measure, right? We got quantity, we got a thousand cards shoved into our fishbowl for our drawing for an iPad, but is that really ROI? Or would you rather have three people come in that buy a million dollar product from you? I personally would rather have three people buy a million dollar uh, product from me as opposed to having a thousand people drop their card in so that I can do sales follow-up and nobody convert, right? So that was something we understood. I, again, don't think it was necessarily as valuable as we as we really believed it was, but it was measurable and it was quantifiable and it was known. Now, when you switched over to the virtual world, what was that reality going to look like and how were we going to determine or how were exhibitors and sponsors and supporters going to determine that ROI? And I think, and, and then how were the event organizers going to deliver that ROI? So that really changed everything overnight because it was a big unknown for almost every event organizer because we had not been focused on virtual in the past. Whether they were doing it or not, sure, but it was not the necessity or the only game in town like it became once the pandemic hit. Yeah, the, this whole transactional relationship, you know, really leads me to my next question, which is, you know, what are the benefits to be gained from the sponsor association partnership just beyond that, you know, financial support? It depends on the perspective of the association um, or the event organizer. I don't want to just say, because I'm, I'm sure you guys have, or Kevin, you have some other non-association people that are going to be listening to this. So it really falls into sort of that event organizer or in some ways the organizing entity bucket as opposed to just associations, because I think that there is a lot of value that can be added by sponsors and exhibitors, but it depends on what the organizer or what that entity, that, that business is willing to allow them to do. Sponsors and exhibitors have a lot of content knowledge. They have a lot of subject matter expertise. Many associations, many organizations don't look, at, look to them for that. And I think that that's a shortcoming because they do. They're talking to their clients all day, every day. They're developing expertise in their area of whatever that industry might be. They're learning from their own clients about what the best practices are and things that can be done in the industry. But there are many times, and I think this goes way back, way back into you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago when industry partners, exhibitors, sponsors were salespeople, right? That's all they did was sell. And therefore, people were afraid because you don't, I mean, I think that this is still true sometimes today, where you don't want to walk through the exhibit hall because that salesperson is going to grab you and pull you in. And all they're going to do is sell. Well, I think that a large percentage of 
the sales industry has learned that that is not going to fly anymore, but that perception is still out there. So there are still many organizations that just will not allow their industry partners to present expertise, to participate as part of the content. They are there and treated, and it's sort of, you know, depending on which organization you talk to, it's, it's, it's seen, it appears as a bad word, but they're seen as vendors, right? They're seen as salespeople, not partners. And I've talked to many associations over time and even just suggested, stop calling them vendors. Stop calling them salespeople. Talk to them and work with them as partners to your association. See how you can mutually reach each other's goals and you're going to be that much further ahead. So I think that allowing them to participate in whatever that content might be, whether it's an event, whether it's a webinar, whether it's writing articles, it's, it's truly participating as part of the content provider for your organization, for your association. And that is very valuable, whether it be writing articles, as I mentioned, presenting, speaking, or even helping with research, right? Like research can be very, very valuable for different industries. So if there are many, many industry partners are actually doing research on their own. So why not collaborate? Why not partner with them and use it to the benefit of your membership so that it helps the association maintain their membership, maintain a revenue stream, and it becomes a win-win. It's not just a, the, the, the value proposition doesn't just become, we will get you in front of our audience. We will help you make sales. It becomes something else because the, the industry partners are looking for different things. They're not only looking for sales. I think at the end of the day, one would say, all right, if you were to talk to an industry partner and say, how do you justify the budget spend on this? Most would say, I need to get leads. I need to get sales. But there are other things involved with that because they do want to show subject matter expertise. They want to increase their brand awareness and they also want to generate sales. So I think that that's the way you got to look at it. But there are still associations, there's still event organizers or content providers that don't look to their industry partners for that information. Yeah, so it definitely sounds like this new uh, value in this partnership is along the lines of collaboration, um, content, research um, for both sides. So are there going to be any maybe pitfalls to you know, approaching that relationship from this perspective? That's a hard question because I think that, and this is almost counter to what I just said, which is that there are still some industry partners, vendors, whatever you want to call them, who do a very good job of disguising their content or disguising their sales pitch as content. But I think that if, as a end user or as a purchaser, if you're looking for it, you're going to be able to find it. And then that does, it allows that perception to to proliferate throughout because it just reinforces it. It reinforces that all these guys want to do is sell. All these guys want to do is sell. They're just in it to sell. And so they almost need to, your industry partners need to be willing to take that step back as well. And besides maybe an introduction of this is who we are, this is what we do, and maybe a closing that this is what we are, this is what we do, or if they're doing an interview or something like that, 
allow their, you know, answer questions directly. Like if the interviewer were to say, all right, tell us how you have solved this challenge for somebody. Sure, answer it. Don't shy away from that. But if you're giving a presentation or if you're writing an article, the sales piece almost has to completely go away because people see right through it. And I know that that many of us are jaded in the sense that if that sales angle starts to come out, we're gonna ignore every piece of expertise that they share because it already comes through as, this is just a sales pitch. This is a sales piece, it's a sales pitch. You know, to go back sort of to the olden days, which I know this still exists today, there were advertisers that would create advertorials, right? And even though it's labeled as this is an advertising piece at the top, at the bottom, because the publisher doesn't want it to come across as something that's sort of underhanded or, or slimy in the sense that they're disguising con they're disguising sales as content. But there are many people who advertorials can be effective, but there are still lots of people who look at that advertorial and go, this is a sales piece. This is an ad. You know, whatever editorial is in here doesn't really matter. This is truly an ad. So I'm not even going to give it any credibility. I'm not going to do it. But I think that if if as industry partners, they shy away from that sales piece almost completely and provide value and make it so that it's not just only examples from their expertise that they're providing, then it, it can be a win-win for everybody. But that is a concern. That has to be a concern. You've got to monitor what the sponsors, what the exhibitors are doing, um, or else it, it comes back negatively on the event organizer or on the association, because then they're not perceived positively. Yeah, those are good ones. Um, so what are some of the missteps that associations make when they're managing these sponsorship relationships what i have seen and this this goes into a whole another sort of can of worms a little bit because i don't want to say and i don't want it to come across that transactional selling is not an option right I, i'm sure that you've heard and and we've all heard that it's about relationship selling it's about developing relationships with your sponsors, with your industry partners, with your exhibitors. It's about talking to them. It's about figuring out what their goals and objectives are. And that is true, but not for every single entity. There are still going to be organizations out there that want to buy a booth. That's all they want to do. They want to buy a booth. They want to buy a low-level sponsorship. They want to do something like that. Don't say no to them. Don't make it so that it's impossible for them to do that because there are, in, in lots of industries, there are small mom and pop top shops and there are small departments within larger entities and things like that. And literally all they want to do is buy something. So it is a purchase. It's not a relationship. It's transactional. So what we need to do is make sure that we have the that the event organizer, that the association, because we are going much more, especially now in the digital world, we are going to much more of a 365 day presence as opposed to just a two or a three day conference presence. We're going bigger and broader because with digital, there's no reason not to. And, and that's what many of the industry partners are looking for. They're looking for a consistent presence, not just a one and done meaning an event and finished and that's the end of their exposure to the audience they want more than that so what they need to do what associations and event organizers or content providing organizations need to do the the, the entity that's looking for this financial support needs to do is really be able to handle both 
They need to figure out, they need to prioritize who are the folks that we need to truly create and develop relationships with, who, what groups are those, what organizations are those, and then you need to talk to them on a regular basis. You need to do relationship management. You need to figure out what their goals and objectives are and develop customized packages for them. Um, but you can't ever not use those smaller ones as well and, and use them to your advantage and say, all right, look, I do have a prospectus. I do have a media kit. You want to buy something? Cool. Buy away, right? Here's your insertion order. Buy whatever you want to do. I will help you walk through it if you want to. But there needs to be both of those opportunities. It's not just one or the other. The challenge that many groups run into, especially associations, is the time to do that, right? It's, I have seen so many times where associations, event organizers, lump that sales piece onto somebody who's already got five other jobs that they need to do. And so it makes it almost impossible for them to have those relationships and maintain those relationships. Because even though ultimately those relationships will turn into dollars, it's not a, I make a phone call and I can tell you that I just generated $2,500 in revenue because it was transactional. Nope, it's I need to talk to you and I need to talk to you again, I need to talk to you again, and I probably need to talk to you again. It will ultimately that long tail ends up in bigger dollars, but it also adds a lot of time and energy onto somebody who probably has five other things that they could be doing. So for them, it's that much more simple to just, all right, you're interested? Cool, here's a prospectus, here's a media kit. Let me know what you're interested in. Great, thanks. So let's say, uh... I'm an association, but I'm struggling to find support. What advice would you give me? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, one would be to reach out to any of your board members, your committee members, folks like that, your other industry partners that you've already got supporting you and ask them who's missing, who they know who they might be able to refer you to, who they could direct you to. And then otherwise, the best place I would say to go is to go to your competitors, not ask them because the likelihood of them sharing information on who their sponsors are, who their exhibitors are, who those advertisers are, is going to be pretty low. Um, but go to them and see who they've got supporting them. Find other like-minded organizations, find competitors, find people that are playing in the same field that you are. And then to put it bluntly, steal their people, you know, Figure out who their people are, figure out who their sponsors are, figure out who their advertisers are. Most of that is not buried. You know, sponsors want to be known, right? One of the benefits that we offer sponsors is that they get awareness. Well, therefore, your competitors probably going to have them on their, on their website, right? Their logo is going to be there. You may have to do some digging around to find who the right person to talk to is. But oftentimes, like exhibitors want to be found too, right? You want to know the salesperson wants to be found. So if you can get that information or reach out to them and show why you are either going to be added value to what they're already doing or in, in the best world, why the advertising, sponsoring, exhibiting, partnering with you is going to be even better than working with that other group, then you can do that. But you've got to just it's a lot of it is just research. It's finding out who else is out there, who's playing in the industry. The other thing to do is go through is work with your editorial folks. Who are they quoting? right? Who's speaking at your event that might be the right industry partner? Who is the editorial people? Who are they reaching out to for quotes? If they're doing any sort of product or service review, who are they talking to? 
those are prime leads for you, but you need to actually have that communication with the editor or with the content person who's nailing down the speakers and the presenters for your annual conference or for your webinars or things like that. There's a lot of different avenues you can go to besides your competitors. I would start internally first, see if you can get that information shared with you and then actually get them to introduce you to some of those people and say, hey, as the person, the subject matter expert on this, I know you may not be the person who makes the marketing decision, but can you introduce me to the right person? Can you let me know who that right person is? I don't want to sell to the subject matter expert necessarily, but I do. I would be great if the subject matter expert would introduce me to the person who handles the marketing side of things. Right. Yeah, that's some great advice. Uh, so I have to ask, you know, since I do a lot of my work with uh, digital strategy, um, what role does tech have in these um, partnerships and the success of them? It's got a huge role right now. Um, and over the last 12 to 14 months when we were virtual all, all day, every day, it, that was the only way, right? That was the only way. Technology was what it was all about. It's how do we provide that audience? How do we give awareness? How do we um, provide a positive experience on the tech side? Um, and I hate to say it, some groups succeeded in that and some groups failed. And it, it I, it's hard to blame anybody for that success or, or give credit almost for that success or failure just because everybody was so new to it. I think that there has been a lot learned over the last 12 to 14 months. And now we're gonna learn again. How do you, I almost hesitate to use this word because I think it's a real struggle to do it, but how are we gonna do hybrid? You know, what does a hybrid event look like? Does it mean, does hybrid mean the in-person is going to be the in-person and then the digital online pieces are going to be separate on different days or in different locations or whatever it might be? How are we going to do that? Um, but the tech is the backbone for all of this and, and it's going to be for a while. So we need to figure out what we can do. We need to figure out what our resources allow. And as you've noticed, I, I go to resources a lot because associations and event organizers comes in, come in all shapes and sizes. And there are as many small ones as there are large ones, probably actually a lot more small ones than there are large ones. And they're not gonna have millions of dollars and 10 or 20 people to throw at an event or at this sponsorship program, they're gonna to have to do something small and they're gonna to have to be really, really efficient and really, really effective, which means they're probably gonna to have to cut down on some of the bells and whistles that they can offer. And, and that's just the reality of the situation. So I always, I always focus on resources because we need to make sure that what you're offering fits both sides. It fits the value that you wanna provide and the benefit that you wanna to provide to the industry partner but it also fits your capabilities, both from a people side, a technology side, and a dollar side of things. So you've got to always make that fit. But I think that the tech is going to be huge. Um, and you need to know what you can do on the tech side. And then you've got to be honest with people. You've got to be honest with your industry partners and tell them what you're able to do demonstrate what you're able to do even still today even though we've all seen lots of virtual events and lots of um, ways to advertise and promote and sponsor virtually everything is still changing so it is important for 
the industry partner to see what you're going to do, even if it's just a demo site or a beta site or beta capabilities or screenshots or whatever it might be, it's important for them to see so that they know what they're going to be receiving. And there's no surprises. Yeah, I think the, uh, all the vendors coming out with different tech, you know, it's created a lot of choices and choices create competition, which also, you know, the benefit or the silver lining here for associations, there's going to be a lot more features, functionality, and innovation that they can uh, leverage uh, in the coming years. So Scott, do you think the associations depend too heavily on these sponsorship dollars? Some yes and some no. Um, and I know that doesn't really help anybody with that answer, but there are, I, I, I wanna come back to that there's lots of different flavors and types of organizations and events and things like that. And so. Some, it depends on what your model is. You know, there are some events that drive as many people as they possibly can to their event and then and at low price points, and then they make their money off of the sponsors and exhibitors. That works, that's one solution. The other solution is to do it the other way and be really be focused on content and make it a high level experience a high price, high level experience for the attendee where you don't necessarily need as much sponsorship and exhibitor and vendors and industry partner support. So um, do I think that they rely on it too much? Some definitely do. Some associations, there's no doubt, they definitely do. They become very reliant on the dollars that come in from sponsors and exhibitors. And we saw that the, the the risk involved in that this year because there were a lot of so there were a lot of industry partners big pharma places like that that um and that's just kind of an example that they pulled out of a lot of shows because they didn't know what to do with virtual they they just were not ready for virtual and they either gave it a shot and it didn't work out however they define success it just didn't meet those levels or they almost didn't know what success was so you know when you can't define what success means it's very hard to meet that level of success or or because you you're basically bouncing it up against nothing um but i think that Associations have been, many associations have become very reliant and that's on sponsorship dollars. And unfortunately that hurt them this year. Will those dollars come back? That's a big question that we don't know the answer to. Uh, you know, I think that back to your question about technology, technology has helped the event organizers, has helped the associations, has helped those organizations that are trying to generate the sponsorship exhibits and advertising dollars but it also hurts them because it does put a lot of ability into the hands of those industry partners where they can do things on their own. You know, do you use, I, I know that advertising on an event website or advertising on an association website can and still does hold value, right? But I can almost target your website by doing a retargeting campaign. I, as an industry partner, can do that on my own now. I don't even, I almost don't even need you to do that because if I have the right digital marketing technology and the right digital marketing capabilities or even the right connection to a firm who can do it for me, I can kind of, you know, I guess, I don't even know if this term exists anymore, but we'll, I'm gonna use it anyways because most people will know it. You can almost guerrilla market your way around these groups by using tech right? You can chase people around all day without having to use the event organizer. 
So that goes back to saying your value has to be unique. It can't just be about advertising. It can't just be about exhibiting. It has to be a unique solution for the most part, not in every situation, because as I was saying before, there are some smaller groups some smaller entities that just don't have, they, they just want to buy something. They know they want to buy something, whether it's buy an ad, buy a booth, buy whatever. Those guys are going to be fine. But the ones that have the resources, that have the larger budgets, they can figure out ways to do a lot of this stuff without you. And they've learned that over the last 12 months. If you didn't have a good experience during 2020 or even the first few months of 2021, industry partners are learning they can do it without you. So you've got to figure out ways to really provide that value and make it consistent, make it unique. Um, and if you're not going to do that, people are going to figure out ways to do it on their own. So in that sense, Kevin, yeah, we have become a little bit too reliant on it. And now it, we got smacked in the face with, uh-oh, what are we going to do if things change? And how do we really create this value that they want? Part of it is talking to them and seeing what they want and seeing ways that you can tweak your offerings but we've got to always be aware of that because there are lots of order takers out there. There are lots of associations, lots of event organizers who have gotten so used to, all right, I know they're coming back next year. How much are they going to spend? But that reality didn't happen this year. Do you know of any associations that recognize the relying too much on these sponsorship dollars and change the, um, the business model? And what are those changes? The biggest change I've seen is going from event related or sort of um, activity related to more of a 365 day approach. Because you, you think about it with, let's use an event as an example, because that I think the events was the biggest switch we saw, or the biggest change we saw in when, when COVID hit, when the pandemic started. Because as I mentioned, we went straight from in-person right to virtual. There was no in-between. There was no like, let's do a little bit of hybrid. Nope, it was whenever the world closed down, we went right into virtual. And it became pretty obvious pretty fast to many organizations that just providing, well, there was no reason. And, and you think about it, there was a lot that we learned because of COVID that we were forced to learn. Like things that... Uh, this is kind of a silly example, but I'm going to give it that we wonder why we didn't do before anyways, like, all right, it's your birthday, let's all spit all over a birthday cake and then cut it up and then pass it to our friends, right? Um, probably not the greatest idea to begin with. But that was tradition. That's what we did. So will people go back to that? I have no idea. But the reason I bring that up is, it probably wasn't a great idea. And to sort of correlate that to the event world, why did we have to limit or why did we limit the exposure to that two or three day period of the event? You could have done stuff before the event. You could have done stuff after the event and during the event. But for whatever reason, whether it was just tradition or it was just the way things had always been done, we limited it to three days if the event was three days. Could you do a could the biggest sponsors get a little bit in advance? Yeah, maybe they got a list of attendees in advance. So they could do a mailing. Maybe they got a list after the event so they could do a mailing. But it was pretty limited. So the biggest change that I have seen is the willingness and the ability to expand that awareness level to do it. Whether it's 365 days a year or not, uh, that you know we can describe it as 365 days a year, but it's 
give your sponsors, give your exhibitors exposure before, during, and after. It doesn't have to be limited to those three days because there is value in doing that. And so what I've found is that the associations or the event organizers that have become more successful in getting people to convert from in-person events to virtual are the ones that have expanded those offerings. So it includes more. So it includes a higher level of exposure for a longer period of time. Great. So, you know, one last question for you, Scott, you know, if you took a look into your crystal ball, what changes are coming down the pipe for everyone? I think that in some ways it's going to be really interesting. Um, and I've got two crystal balls that I'm looking at, so to speak. One crystal ball tells me people are going to be so excited to get back to in-person that we're going to run back to in-person as fast as we possibly can. And there are going to be exhibitors, sponsors that are going to come running back as fast as the attendees. Um, and that, that, that is a possibility. I think that we're getting there. Um, but it, the interesting part of that is that before we went virtual and figured out some of the deficiencies with what we could offer virtually, exhibitors and sponsors and even the event organizers weren't fully happy with the in-person model that we had. But all of those things have gone out the window when it wasn't an option anymore. So now everybody's like, I loved in-person. I got to get back to in-person. It was great. I had all these people walk by my booth. Well, 18 months ago, you would be complaining that either the exhibit hall wasn't full enough, you weren't attracting the right people into your booth. So there was no right way to do it, right? There, there was no, neither of the options is perfect. And so that's the other crystal ball that I, that I see where. Uh, this was uh, great, great information. And it was a pleasure to be able to connect you with our listeners on this topic of sponsorship. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to connect with Scott, you can email him at scott at scottoserassociates.com. And for more tips and support for strengthening your association, be sure to visit .org source. And if you'd like access to relevant information and resources, consider joining .org community, a platform for association leaders to connect and learn from one another. Thanks again for joining us. This is Kevin Ordonez signing off for the Association 4.0 podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com to find out how to get your organization on track to Association 4.0. You can also engage in other educational content by becoming a member of .org community or reading our books on Association 4.0, which you can find on Amazon. We look forward to hearing from you soon.